It's been a, a very tough time for local and regional journalism, not just here in Australia, but across the world. The, uh, the local print newspaper has, of course, been in decline for a while, but things went into overdrive when the pandemic struck. Advertising revenue evaporated and the big media conglomerates looked to cut regional costs. More and more communities now find themselves living in news deserts. In other words, no longer served by local journalism. So how do we salvage these vanishing news outlets? Well, the solution may be simpler and cheaper than you think. Now, joining me are three experts deeply invested in this challenge. We welcome back Christy Hess. Christy is a professor of communications at Deakin and she's just led a national report on sustaining local mastheads. Stephen Waldman is the president of Rebuild Local News and the co-founder of Report for America, and he joins us from New York. And in Canada, April Lindgren is Professor of Journalism at Toronto Metropolitan University, and I welcome you all. And uh, let's start by looking at the scale of the problem. Christy, let, uh, give me a, a state of play in Australia, if you please. Yes, thank you, Philip. Um, you know, in many respects, it has been a, a tale of, of doom and gloom. If, if we look at the recent figures from the Public Interest Journalism Initiative in Australia, they've just uh, released some statistics saying that uh, there's about 30 local government areas now in Australia that don't have any public interest journalism, which of course is concerning. Uh, there's certainly some contractions across the sector. Uh, we're in the red. But I will say a lot of those declines and, and contractions have actually been at the expense of bigger players like uh, News Corp and Australian community media. And there actually is quite a positive story that is to be told, I think, uh, with some of the independent newspapers and startups that are that are blossoming where you know where there is some decline and I think that's important to acknowledge as well. Stephen in the US I guess it's a similar rate of decline tell me about uh, tell me about it and the phenomenon of ghost newspapers. Yeah, it's really getting quite bad here. We have thousands of communities that have no local news source. The estimate is that the number of reporters has dropped by about 55 to 60% in the last two decades. And the ghost newspaper is one where there's still a newspaper there, but they're barely covering any local news at all. Uh, there are newspapers here. We're now seeing a new phenomenon that are almost zombie newspapers where you have a daily newspaper with no reporters. Uh, and they're still publishing, but it's just with wire copies. So the... Uh, the amount of reporting that we're getting in communities has declined very severely and unfortunately has not been yet made up by the, the innovative startups. In the US, uh, on average, two newspapers close each week, Stephen. Yes, that's right. And they're all over the country. I'd say a lot of them are in rural areas um, or smaller towns. 
but it's really it's really happening everywhere and um there is a lot of creativity that's going on out there but it's not yet enough to come anywhere close to substituting for the loss and of course this has huge consequences for communities in terms of uh you know holding government accountable of having basic information about hospitals and education and all and all of which like all of which will tease out as uh, as our time as our segment develops to you know april you've maintained a, a local news map in canada for the last 15 years i imagine it tells a similar story yes i i wish i wasn't going to launch into a tale of misery but sadly I too have um, a sad a sad tale to tell. So we've been tracking what's opened and what's closed in terms of local news outlets since 2008. And over that period, there's been we have you know found 474 places that have closed. Those are all types of media, but uh, strikingly, um, three quarters of them are community newspapers. Um, and then you know by comparison, only half as many places have opened. New, new new local news outlets have opened 217, um, and we also, of course, have the the sort of ghost and zombie paper uh, phenomenon um, happening here. I, I looked at uh, major metropolitan newspapers recently, their newsroom numbers, and I started out my career at the Ottawa Citizen in the capital. Um, and back in 1990, um, they had 190 people in their newsroom, and today they have just over 20. So that's a pretty telling uh, story about what's happening in, in, in larger metropolitan centres. And then we did a survey a, a couple of years ago of small market newspapers. And uh, in many cases, uh, we were told about a, a story basically of reduced staff, a reduced um, journalists having to produce four or five stories a day. Um, and or or and and edit and in some cases sell sell advertising, so it's um, it's it's been quite a struggle uh, on the newspaper side. But we, there we is there is of, a hint of optimism in that you also report that 217 new outlets have emerged, usually digital and online, mm-hmm. and, and often uh, financed by philanthropists. Uh, well, not often. I would say uh, there, where philanthropy is starting to play a greater role here, but it's nowhere near what's happening in the United States. But yes, we have had um, some uh, digital startups that are, are I guess, the, the bright light. I would say, um, and, and and the hope going and the hope going forward because newspapers are really struggling. Well, let's use our microscope now to focus on the point that uh, Stephen was making, and that's uh, why local journalism matters. So, Christy, we know it's important, but it's especially vital in isolated and disadvantaged communities, is it not? Absolutely, Philip. It certainly is um, part of the research that we've conducted uh, involved a national survey of of, uh, rural and regional newspaper readers and Uh, particularly in rural areas, they made it very clear that the local news outlet um, really mattered. Uh, They want stories about community that brings them together, um, gives them a a sense of connection. Uh, You know, we all know that rural and regional media and journalism matters in times of disaster, bushfires, for example, floods that have hammered parts of uh, Australia, you know, every year. Uh, you know, the local journalist is there to report and also uh, report after the fact and keep people together. 
Tell me about the work of the Portland Observer, please, Christy. This is in uh, regional Victoria. I can indeed. I mean, it's an example of uh, what a lot of uh, rural and regional newspapers do. The, the local paper there campaigned quite heavily to improve uh, medical services. There were people that were having babies in car parks and the newspaper was like, okay, we can't have that on behalf of our community and we have to do something. And they campaigned quite heavily on behalf of the Portland District to improve services. But I think that's an example of, of what so many uh, quality news outlets do right across the country when they have adequate resources. Tell me about uh, Lightning Ridge in the Walgutshire. Well, Lightning Ridge is, is an interesting case because um, it is probably an example of a news desert. There is uh, no designated newspaper in that space and there was a PhD student of mine that spent, you know, quite a lot of time living in Lightning Ridge and getting a sense of what it means if there is no local newspaper present. And uh, and he certainly found that um, it affected political discourse, people's ability to connect with each other. And of course, the classic example of people didn't know when there was a funeral on or that somebody had died. And, and that's quite, you know, distressing to a lot of local people. April, you've, uh, you can give me the example of the community of uh, Brampton in Canada. Yes. Uh, well, when I started uh, out doing my research on local news, Brampton, which is a community of, it's a suburban community, more than 600,000 people. Um, and they did not have, they had nothing, no TV station, no radio station. There is now an online news service, a uh, news outlet there, but but still, given the size of the community, it's, uh, it's extremely um, underserved. And, you know, as an example of a small place, uh, I was just talking to um, people in Dryden, Ontario, where their newspaper closed and they have no local media. It's in the, sort of the northern part of um, the province of Ontario. And um, they had an. A, 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 this is a classic case of what happens when there's no news reporting. There was this new, new. A bunch of new councillors were elected to the city council, and they decided that. Oh yeah, it sounded like a great idea. They received from staff to impose an empty lot tax in town, and so they passed it at city council. And then, of course, the whole town uh, people who had these empty lots erupted. And, and there was a massive uh, confrontation at a council meeting um, simply because nobody had been reporting. There was nobody there to report on where this idea was coming from, that it was being considered by council. So it makes gov local governance more challenging when you don't have um, uh, local news, local reporting on, on issues as they arise so that people can be brought around to the idea or have a chance to oppose it. Let's go back to Brampton where a journalist helped uh, initiate an emergency health response to COVID, the town had the highest rates of COVID in the country. Well, interestingly, actually, Philip, in that case, the story was done by an outside news organisation in nearby Toronto. Um, and yeah, it had the highest, uh, high, very high levels of COVID infection. Um, and, uh, and, and what the local news outlet from Toronto discovered is that it also had um, one of the poorest um, supplies or access to, um, to, to COVID vaccines. Uh, and, and so that was a, within two weeks of that story erupting, um, the government had put in place, this was during the pandemic, special measures to um, 
supply uh, higher levels of vaccines to uh, to these COVID hotspots. Stephen, you've written a piece for The Atlantic on the uh, remarkable value of local news and you, you give examples of journalism helping to reduce air pollution and even murder rates. Tell me more. Well, it's, it's the case that a lot of journalism has very concrete benefits. Like we've talked about these softer benefits, which are really important for democracy and cohesion of communities. But sometimes it's even more direct than that. Uh, you know, I'll give you a small example because it kind of changed the way I thought about this. Um, there's a program here called Report for America that I helped create. And we had a reporter out in Utah, a r- rural area. And he just did this one story that was kind of just a run-of-the-mill story about uh, the, a very poor county overpaying for some lobbying and legal work. It turned out the law firm had double-billed them, and he had found this out. So he got them essentially a, a refund of about uh, $100,000, which is not you know bringing down a government or something like that. But it occurred to me, he, in one article, he had earned back three times his annual salary. And that's a tiny example. So newspapers are constantly doing things that will lead to millions of dollars in fines being paid into the treasury because of wrongdoing that they discover by a company. Uh, There's evidence that in communities that don't have reporting, the the, the ability to borrow, those municipal governments' ability to borrow, gets more expensive. So in a very practical sense, if we actually strengthen local news, it would save us all a lot of money. Uh, so that's just another argument for why it's important to solve this. Stephen, you uh, write about uh, a study of toxic emissions at uh, 40,000 factory plants and found that uh, when newspapers report on pollution, something is likely to happen. Yeah, it turns out that uh, when... Corporate uh, leaders know that someone is watching, that that affects their behavior as well. So it's not they're not only worried about you know what the government's going to do; they're worried about if if this thing that they're doing is going to show up on the front page, then they think of that as a cost. They think of that as something. Oh, we're going to then have to spend a lot of money. It's going to be a hassle. And it literally affects their behavior to the point of polluting less. In another case, the uh, Rally News and Observer reported uh, on North Carolina's failure to keep uh, track of prisoners on probation. Right, and they, uh, an academic, studied uh, what happened before this uh, investigative series and what happened after. And basically, it had led to some reforms. Uh, there were people who were out on probation who shouldn't have been very violent criminals, and they, and they were committing more crimes. And after a bunch of reforms that came as a result, the murder uh, rate of people by people on probation dropped noticeably. So they can actually say 
that there were uh, fewer deaths, fewer murders as a result of this. One of the points that the academic made on this is that that kind of what you might call public good journalism, it has a benefit for the community even among the people who aren't subscribing to the newspaper. So it doesn't convert necessarily into money for the newspaper. In fact, it's often very expensive, but it has a big benefit for the public as a whole. Christy, let's turn the microscope now onto solutions. In the Australian context, you say there's a, a clear role for a federal government in uh, keeping these mastheads alive. Absolutely. Um, and uh, I note that Stephen in his article highlighted the need for tax credits to encourage advertisers uh, to advertise in, in local news outlets uh, to support their sustainability. And I and I think that sort of leads into my point that, um, you know, for much of the 20th century and, and up until now, Australia's three tiers of government have actually been key advertisers in local media, particularly newspapers. They advertise uh, public notices and uh, public awareness campaigns, what we term functional notices. Um, so it might be COVID-19 awareness, road safety or bushfire campaigns as we're about to, uh, you know, kick off a, a hot summer. And, and that money has actually been shifting towards social media or bigger metropolitan papers that can show that they have a greater reach. And that's really concerning when it's the little guys out there in the small rural towns and 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 cities that actually, you know, penetrate their smaller readerships and have impact. So I think that's that's something that needs, you know, significant attention. Christy, you point out that print isn't necessarily dead in many of these small communities. Tell me about uh, the new paper in Alice Springs. Yes. Yeah. Well, that is uh, literally hot off the presses as of uh, as of last week. Um, the the locals in Alice Springs have been crying out for a local paper since the closure of uh, of their long serving newspaper in two thousand and nineteen. So um, it's uh, they want they want it in print. There's a demand for it, uh, and that doesn't surprise me at all because uh, some of the research that uh, that we have done indicates that believe it or not print is still popular. Uh, it's especially popular amongst uh, people over over 50. Uh, but that said, Philip, I'm sure you agree that does not mean that readership is going anywhere anytime soon. Um, they love the, the feel of print, the idea of just sitting there on a Saturday morning or, or during the weekday over breakfast and a bowl of cornflakes, <laughs> you know, flicking through the paper, looking at little Johnny who's... Um, who's uh, just won the sports competition or a public speaking event. And and people love that. They love to see it in print. Well, I've been a print journalist for over 70 years and I certainly do. Now, Stephen, what about uh, getting sites like Facebook and Google to pay for local news content shared on their platforms? Yeah, this is a very hot topic. And actually, Australia is the pioneer here. And uh, the United States and Canada uh, have been watching carefully what Australia has done. And it's basically a system that forces uh, a negotiation that then leads to Facebook and Google paying money to news media organizations. 
this is now under consideration in the U.S. as well. Um, and I'm very curious to hear what you all think of how it's going in Australia. It's it's a bit controversial here. I would say there's a concern on the part of smaller news organizations that this approach does well by larger media, but possibly not as well as other ideas for smaller and local uh, news organizations. But I'm curious what you all think of that. April, just time for me to ask you this. A lot of great journalism these days is uh, hidden behind a paywall, but not everyone can afford subscriptions. Yes. Well, I mean, that's uh, that's that's a huge problem and it creates this idea of news haves and new information have nots. Um, and uh, I think there's a, a role for philanthropy here to uh, support news organizations that are going to um, – uh, you know, will provide some 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 cash, but on the condition that that information that information the stories produced with that cash not be hidden behind um, a paywall. Um, Philip, I should just also say on on the Facebook Meta thing, Canada's in the throes of that battle, and and Meta has withdrawn all local news link uh, access to local news uh, through its platform because we actually have passed legislation similar to Australia's. So we've, that, we've, that, I'm sorry, we've, we've got to wind up. We're out of time and I've got to grab my telescope. So I'd like to thank you all. I've been speaking with Professor Christy Hess from Deakin in, to Professor April Lindgren from the uh, Toronto Metropolitan University and from New York, the president of Rebuild Local News in Stephen Waldman. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.